going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 6 once again as we continue our study. And today uh, we will complete Mark chapter 6 next week, hopefully, Lord willing, if I'm able to be here based on what happens with her mom this week. We will get into Mark chapter 7. As you're turning there, how many of you know there's a sporting event going on today? The Super Bowl. Anybody know who's playing? A few of you do. I'm not going to ask who cares and who doesn't care because we're in a good mood right now. I don't want to stir the pot any. But uh, being Super Bowl Sunday, I have a, a story for you real quick. A uh, young man takes his fiance to uh, the Super Bowl. First time she's ever been to an NFL game. Not to pick on anybody, but she, she does happen to be of the blonde persuasion. And uh, they have great seats. They're on the 50-yard line, about 10 rows up from the, from the uh, sideline. And a game goes on, and she just seems to be having a great time. So after the game, he asked her, he said, hey, sweetheart, how did you enjoy the, your first NFL game? And she said, oh, man, I loved it. The excitement, the, the energy that's coming from the crowd and, and all of the activity on the field. I just, I loved it, but I, but I couldn't understand one thing. And he said, well, what was that? She said, I couldn't understand why they were beating each other up over 25 cents. And he said, I, I don't think I catch what you mean. That's not what was happening. She said, well, you remember at the beginning of the game, that guy in the striped suit threw a coin up in the air, and one team got it, and, and then for the rest of the game, all I kept hearing was, get the quarterback, get the quarterback. <laughs> and I'm like, hello, it's only 25 cents. <laughs> Come on, Lee, you got a kick out of that. He's laughing now. He wasn't going to laugh. He was trying to hold it in as much as he could. All right, so anyway, Mark chapter 6. This morning, we uh, were looking at Jesus and the event in which he walked on water. Well, there's a saying, actually it's part of the words and lyrics to a song from what I understand, but there's a, there's a saying that says, into every life a little rain must fall. You ever heard that? And the deal is, when the rain is falling on you, it's not a little rain, is it? When you're in the middle of it, to an outsider, it might look like a little rain. When you're on the inside of it, it seems like a hurricane and a torrential storm because you're the one in the middle. It's kind of like the difference between a heart attack and a major heart attack. A heart attack happens to somebody else. A major heart attack happens to you. It depends on perspective and who's in the middle of it. So a little rain falls, but really, very rarely is it just a little rain. In fact, when we're talking about the storms of life, which are inevitable, we discover that uh, it can be very torrential. It can be very overwhelming. It can create great anxiety. The storms of life can include so many different things. And if we were to have time this morning to let folks share testimony of the goodness of God when they found themselves in storms, and we could identify 101 different storms in, of life that happen around us. But, but most common are things like financial storms. We get into a situation where there's a season of time where there's some hardship and there's some challenge financially. There's marriage storms. Won't ask for a show of hands. It's Valentine's weekend. Look at your neighbor and smile Real big. If you're married to them, blow them a kiss. But there's relationship. There's marriage storms. There are relationship storms with our kids or or, or with uh, others' kids, <laughs> uh, co-workers, neighbors. There's just relational storms that come up and divisions and contentions and things that can happen. There's emotional storms when we go through seasons of anger, uh, anxiety, or discouragement, or or even de depression. And as a spirit-filled follower of Christ, I have to share with you this morning, the reality is 
you're not immune to those. For a little rain must fall into every life. Let me show you just a couple of verses that set this event in Mark 6 up for us. Matthew 5. In the words of Jesus, he says, He, God, causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. Notice this. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It is a fact of life. Storms come. John 16, though, Jesus gives some hope. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Read the rest of it with me. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So Jesus says expect it. It's going to happen, but, but don't expect to be alone in it. And then Peter, who was here when this event of Mark chapter 6 happens, in fact, uh, when we read Mark chapter 6 and Jesus walking on water, this is the same event where Peter himself walked on water. Mark does not record that for us. The other gospels do. But Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised. Right? Peter was there when Jesus said that uh, you're going to have persecution. Expect it. So Peter says, look, don't be surprised. Jesus told us it's going to happen at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Jesus told us, he says, it's going to happen. Don't think it's strange. Accept the fact that a little rain comes into every life. Storms come and we're told not to be surprised. The Lord himself gives us that imperative. Today we discover how Jesus walks with us through the storms. Now, what we're about to read is, is a crazy miracle. And it is, it is a demonstration. Part of the reason it's given to us through the Gospels is it is a demonstration, once again, of the power and the authority and the sovereignty and the divine nature of Jesus, the Son of God. But it has some implications to it that carry far beyond that moment when he walked on water to a reality of every storm you and I face and his presence with us. And that's what we're going to, to dig out this morning from these verses. But to set the text up, remember last week Jesus had uh, set sail across the lake with his disciples to get to the other side. They were going for some R&R. They were going for a little spiritual retreat. They end up with about 20,000 people waiting on the other side. So Jesus has compassion. He teaches, and then they're all hungry. We have the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, which you take in children and wives, most likely close to 15 to 20,000. Immediately, Jesus puts the disciples back in the boat. The retreat's canceled. Got to get the deposit back on the lodge. We got to go back across. We got to head back home. He puts them immediately in the boat, but he stays on that side and praise. Now that's where we pick up this morning, beginning in Mark chapter 6. So we're going to read a few verses out of these passages of Mark 6, then we'll, we'll highlight them with a truth out of those that's applicable to us, then we'll pick up some more of the verses. So here we go, beginning in verse number 45. Immediately, and there's, there's the word. Anybody remember how many times I've told you Mark uses that word? A lot. Okay, well, I'll go with that. I'll go with that. Uh, more specific, if you're, if you're a detailed person like I am, it's 42 times. He uses the word immediate. Everything is just boom, boom, boom. Jesus just fed the 5,000, 20,000, whatever, and boom, immediately he moves to put the disciples in the boat. He made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, sent them off, he went up on the mountain to pray. Can I just say that... that uh, 
the intercessory ministry of Jesus, though you don't see it and you don't tangibly, physically hear the intercession of Jesus, the scriptures tell us that having risen from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father, he lives to make intercession for us. Now, he is making intercession for our sin. That when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin because he sees the blood of his son, Jesus. And Jesus says, my blood covers Mark's sin. But he makes intercession. He stands in the gap on our behalf. So Jesus goes up to the top of the mountain to pray. Okay, he is going to get a little prayer time in before he has to go back across. And then in verse number 47, we pick up, it says, And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully. Notice it says he saw. From that mountain where he was, he saw that they were having a struggle. Now, if we go to John chapter 6, John records this same event, but he gets very specific. And he says the disciples were now about three or four miles out from shore. Jesus sees them. Though they're a great distance, it's dark, it's raining, it's foggy and cloudy, but four miles away, Jesus, I don't know if that speaks to anybody this morning or not. I don't know that I have to interpret that for you this morning. But just in case you missed it, Jesus knows you and he sees you. He saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, that means they've been rowing for six to eight hours, he came to them walking on the sea for he meant to pass by them. So the, the first, well, this is not even one of your points. Let me, let me throw this little caveat in right here. The disciples were following the command of Jesus, correct? Jesus said, get in the boat, go to the other side, I'll meet you over there. In the will of God, even in the perfect will of God, you could move right into the middle of a storm. A storm in your life does not indicate you're out of God's will. Can it? It can. It could indicate that you got something you need to get right with the Lord. Or it could just be that God is moving you to a place, not physically, but spiritually, that's going to require some honing and some shaping. And it's going to require a storm that draws you closer to him to get you to that place. But Jesus told us, look, when they come, you're not alone. So here's our first truth this morning. In your storm and walking through your storm, you're never out of Jesus' sight. Jesus knows where you are, and he sees you right where you are today. Several miracles are occurring in this very moment, in this event, in Jesus and the disciples. You see, Jesus walks on water. That's a crazy miracle. Peter walks on water. That's a crazy miracle. Jesus calms the storm just like that. That's a miracle. But as I said, John tells us Jesus was, the disciples were three to four miles out when Jesus looked and saw them. I, I sense, and I, I don't have, there's nothing to back this up as to what Jesus was praying. There were probably many things on that hilltop he was praying. But I don't think the storm surprised Jesus. In fact, we're going to discover something later in Mark here this morning that indicates to me there was a purpose for them rowing for six and eight hours, not making much progress. There was a, there was a God intent for that, and, and you'll see that in a moment. I think perhaps part of what Jesus would have been praying those six to eight hours on top of that mountain 
would have been for the disciples. Would have been for them. I'll show you later in Mark 6 why I, why I think that uh, they're heavy on his mind and his heart at that time. But you see, Jesus is, is omniscient. He is God in flesh. And to say God is omniscient means to say God is all-knowing. To be all-knowing means he is all-seeing. Do you know Jesus knows you are sitting here at 455 Northwest John Jones Drive at 1056 a.m. on February 13th? And do you know he knew you would be sitting here before you were born? According to the psalmist, having been fearfully and wonderfully made, he has ordained all of our days for us. So I would say this. Your neighbors driving down the street might have been surprised to see you coming in church today. What? I had no idea they went to church. Hey, I'm just saying, I, I don't know what your neighbors think. But God did see you come in. God sees, and he knows everything about us. And because Jesus is God in flesh and God with us, he is omniscient. He sees through the fog of the storm. He sees through the darkness that is thick and heavy weighing on you and wearying you in your storm right now. He sees and he knows. And he's not far from you. In fact, I present to you, he's a whole lot closer than you think he is. Do you realize at this point, I have a feeling, I just, I have this sense, knowing human nature as, a, as I am a human too, and I know me, there's a really good chance those disciples don't have Jesus on their mind right now. You see, they're, they're experiencing a very common thing. They're fishermen. Most of them are fishermen on that lake. So they're used to these sudden storms. They're not used to this one. Remember when we studied it a few weeks ago uh, in the Moving Forward series and we talked about faith, uh, we discovered that uh, the word there for storm, great storm, is the word mega. It's the same word for hurricane force type of storm. So this is an unusual storm and, and very common to them to have to deal with these things and then they're thinking of life and limb. They're doing whatever it is to survive. I'm not sure Jesus is on their mind right now, but, but they're on his mind. And he sees them. He sees them. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3. Let me give you a few verses here this morning that uh, give us some indicator of the closeness of God to us in our storms. It says verse 15, Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. I love 2 Chronicles 16.9. I'd like us to all read it together this morning. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Now I present to you, he knows what's going on on the earth and every, all seven and a half billion, almost eight billion people that make up the face of the earth. He sees and knows every one. But his radar tunes in to those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Those who I would say are filled with his spirit. You know how Jesus is going to know who to take back in the rapture and at the second coming? His spirit. You see, his spirit has been given to you and I as a guarantee. Now, some of you are old enough with me to remember the days you used to get a... Uh, 
stop at the gas station on vacation and buy a Dr. Pepper and you paid a five cent deposit. Because if you brought the bottle back, you got your five cents back. It was a deposit to hold place. We're told in the scriptures the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a deposit, guaranteeing our future with Christ. So he says his, he's looking for those whose hearts are committed to him. He knows where his own are. He knows your fears. He knows your anxieties. He knows the uncertainty and confusion you may experience in the middle of your storm, now or in past or in future to come. He sees you and knows you're feverishly pushing ahead and rowing ahead into the wind. And you're becoming weary. You're becoming physically, spiritually, emotionally drained. You see nothing happening around you and you feel like you've escaped his attention. But this word for encouragement this morning is that you would know Jesus sees you. Jesus has not forgotten you this morning. However thick the darkness, Jesus sees you this morning. And he knows right where you are right now. So Jesus, you're never out of Jesus' sight. Let's pick back up now with verse number, I had verse 48 there, but let's get verse 48. We just read it. Well, let me, let me say this about verse 48. It does say, he came by them walking on the sea, for he meant to pass by them. I think this is humorous right here, because when you first read it, you would think, well, Jesus was just going to walk right past these friends of his and leave them in that boat. But that's not what that literally means. That's kind of a, a, a hard way of translating, and, and this is the translator's way of communicating. But what it means to pass by means he meant to come very close to them. It's not like he was going to just walk on water right past and say, hey, boys, going my way. I'll see you later. Catch you on the flip side. What it meant is he's going to walk closely to them. He's going to approach them is what's being said there. So now verse 49 Mark says, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. There is, again, I don't think they were anticipating Jesus being around. I think they are overwhelmed with their storm and their ability to try to survive it. Sometimes the storm becomes so overwhelming that we love Jesus, but we might have a hard time remembering that he is so close. We may be so overwhelmed with the darkness and the heaviness of heart. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out. For they, saw, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately, there it is again, he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. It is I. Do not be afraid. Can I throw another little caveat in there before I get you to the second truth? What Jesus is saying there, he is saying, I am. The name of God. The name of God, God gave himself at the burning bush when Moses said, who do I tell them sent me? They don't even see you. They don't even know you. God says, I am. Now, that's a mic drop moment for God. When God calls himself, I am, boom, drop the mic because that's it. Nothing else to be said. What it means is, I am the all-sufficient, self-sufficient, eternal, alpha and omega, beginning and the end. I have always been and always will be, and I am very much right now. Yeah. And to me, there is no limitation. 
That's what he was telling Moses. And then Jesus has the audacity one day to say, I am. Well, that just flipped all the religious people out big time because he just associated himself with God. And here Jesus says, I am. I am. The God at the burning bush is the God who walks through the thunder and the fire with you, keeping his covenant promise that he knows those who are his and he is faithful to those who are his. So your second truth then of this moment and this miracle of Jesus on the water is this. You're never out of Jesus' reach. You are never out of his sight and you are never out of his reach. They are in the middle of the lake. It's pitch dark, storm raging. They're out of control. They couldn't have felt any more alone. Perhaps you're there now in the middle of a storm and you feel the aloneness. I think I've shared this before when I've told some about my season of depression that I went through a couple of years ago, but there was a day specific on a Saturday. I'd been up here for a while. Alicia met me here and then we went to HEB to get some stuff. And as we were walking across the parking lot, there were people scurrying around. And I, I remember this moment like it was yesterday. I just felt like I had, like I was in a box. That's how I was feeling for several weeks during this time, just in this box, and, and all that I could do was just see right in front. And I told her, I said, I feel like I'm invisible in this parking lot right now. Now, I'm pretty sure I wasn't, but I felt like that. And it's possible that when we get so overwhelmed in our storm that we feel so alone that we, we forget Jesus is in me. But you see, he understands that. You say, well, because of my lack of faith, I just don't think Jesus is going to help me through my storm. Jesus isn't concerned about a lack of faith. That's not a lack of faith. The faith is you invited him in. He's there. He has not left you. Perhaps he's pulling himself and making himself not as clear right now in the moment until you get to a place that then he says, here I am but to a place that you decide you need him, to a place that you decide you've got to have him. In other words, the place where you finally decide, I'm going to have to just toss the oars overboard and Jesus, take the oars. Yeah. It's not quite how Carrie Underwood would sing it, but you take control, Jesus. You have it. But Jesus is never out of reach, even when we feel alone. His intent was to walk right up to that boat, not to terrify them. Why are they terrified? Because they're not expecting Jesus. They're, he's the last thing and the last person they're expecting to be out in the middle of that storm. They are overwhelmed. They're focused on the waves and the wind and the beating rain. They are frantically trying to fight their way through this storm. Jesus isn't even on their radar screen in this moment. That's why they didn't recognize him. What they didn't know was until that moment, Jesus had been on the mountain. And Jesus had been praying. And some of his praying, I'm sure, was for them. And when he looked up, he saw where they were. They felt they were far, far from his help. And... It's possible that we as spirit-filled Christ followers who love the Lord with all of our hearts 
can sometimes let the enemy lie to us. And when the circumstances around us get so difficult and they last for seasons so long that we just feel like we're fighting it continuously, it's easy to start focusing on all of that. And, and, and I'm not saying we've backslidden. I'm not saying we've denied Jesus. It's just that Jesus isn't the first go-to. We're still trying frantically to roll our, row our way into the headwinds. But friend, I've got to try to encourage you this morning to realize Jesus is there. Jesus is there. One of my favorite single verses out of the scriptures is Isaiah 41, verse 10. God promises Israel, and I believe he promises it to all of us who have been adopted into and grafted into the covenant with Israel. Isaiah 41, 10, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jesus is close enough to reach you. He's right there, my friend. I promise you he is. And, and maybe today is the day you throw the oars into the water and you just, say, you just lift the hands and Prepare to, to grab his. Nothing can keep us, keep Jesus from reaching us. You see this raging storm, these turbulent waves, they couldn't keep Jesus from reaching the disciples. The thickness of darkness and fog and clouds couldn't keep Jesus from reaching them. The fact that he didn't even have a boat accessible to him couldn't keep Jesus from reaching them. You say, well, how's Jesus going to get down into the middle of this mess I've created or others have created for me? I don't know. I don't know how the man walked on water, except that he could, and he did. And if he can walk on water, he can show up in your living room. He can join you at this altar and reach in and calm your storm. Now, let me say that with this, too, that the calming of the storm can be multifaceted. He can calm you in it, he can calm it, or he can calm you through it. But the deal is, and the encouragement we find in Mark 6 is that Jesus sees us and he reaches us. Nothing separates us from that love. In fact, I want to read to you from Romans chapter 8 this morning. Just a reminder, I'm sorry, Romans 9. No, I'm sorry, Romans 8. It's familiar to all of us except me, apparently. <laughs> Romans 8, beginning in verse number 35, says this. Hear it, my friend. Hear it in the middle of your storm. Let this be the beacon of light that's sweeping across the waters of your storm right now and spotting you. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress persecution or famine or nakedness or danger shall any storm separate us from the love of Christ as it is written for your sake we are being killed all day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered verse 37 no in all these things we are more 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 than conquerors through him him who loved us 
Paul, who knew what storms were, literally, spiritually, and emotionally, for I am sure that neither death nor life and anything that happens in between, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation, no storm will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's your beacon of light, my friend. Nothing has separated you and nothing keeps you from that incredible love. Reach out to him. Let him get in the boat with you this morning. Our third truth, you're never out of Jesus' care. You're never out of his sight. You're never out of his reach. And you're never out of his care. We pick up in uh, verse number 51. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were utterly astounded. Now watch Mark's commentary here. Here's where we're going to come back. But it says, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Remember I told you earlier that uh, Jesus probably knew this storm was coming and that this storm on the lake for those disciples had a purpose? Mark tells us what the purpose is right there in verse number 52. They did not understand about the loaves their hearts were hard. You know what he's saying? We're going to finish this, but you know, you know what he's saying? He's saying they didn't, they didn't get who Jesus was even after the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus says, okay, boys, we're going to have to turn up the heat a little bit. Maybe the 5,000 and just grabbing fish and handing it out was a little too easy for you. We're going to have to turn the heat up just a little bit. We're going to turn the wind up. We're going to turn the, the rain up. We're going to turn the thunder up. Just a little bit. And we're going to see if that doesn't capture your attention to who I am. Oh, man, my friends. When Jesus is on that mountain praying, he's praying for these disciples because he knows the storm has a purpose. And he knows what he's about to show them. He's praying, I believe, for their hearts to be prepared because he's about to walk up to that boat. And in an undeniable unquestionable way he's about to reveal himself. If it wasn't enough with the feeding of the 5,000, let's do it this way. Can I just tell you, oh man, I'm just getting all off sidetracked here this morning, but these parts are free, so you can thank me later. Jesus will put us through, well, let me back up this way. There will be moments when we are purposefully taken through storms. And we will stay in the storms until we have gotten where Jesus wants us to get. Now, he will not abandon us in it. It said he got them to the other side. He won't abandon us in it, but if we don't learn the lesson, we're going to stay in the storm. Now, let's assume we row ourselves or we put on our life jacket and jump out of the boat and swim to shore ourselves. Can I tell you another storm's coming? Because you haven't figured out yet what he wanted you to learn the first time. You didn't get it with the 5,000, and you're not getting it now. Now what's got to happen for you to get it? I'm not trying to discourage anybody this morning, but I would encourage you in this. Learn it now. Learn it in this storm. Say, Jesus, whatever you want to do in me, whatever you know you need to do in me, 
Please have at it. Please have at it. Now, where was I? Verse 52. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Now we move in to a seemingly whole different area, but I want to tie it in this way. I think it fits well. So I want to tie it in so we can move on to chapter 7 next. They get to the shore, and it says in verse 53, When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. That means they landed and anchored the boat. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. The truth, as I told you a moment ago, this third truth is that you're never out of the care of Jesus. Jesus takes care of the storm for the disciples and then he lands on shore and there's a multitude of people that are experiencing some emotional, physical, and spiritual storms of their own. And as he calms the sea and gets the disciples to the other side, he takes time to care for those in the middle of their emotional and spiritual and physical storm on the other side. Because you're never, you're never out of his care. Jesus is going to get you through to the other side. He's either going to calm your storm, as I said earlier, or he's going to calm you in the middle of it. But either way, you're good to go. Either way, with Horatio, whatever his last name was, that wrote it as well with my soul after all of his family drowned in a shipwreck, and then taking another ship across and about that same place where he's told the ship sank, he writes the words to the song, It is well with my soul. Whether he calms you or the storm, you're more than a conqueror. You are getting to the other side. He cared for those who were struggling, helpless and hopeless, even on the other side. Here's something very crazy interesting. Mark tells us that when they got to the, it says when Jesus got in the boat, the waters calmed, and when they got to the other side, they anchored and, and tied the boat off and got out. Now, it appears that they finished sailing across. Mark, how, I'm sorry, John, however, tells us in verse 20 and 21, watch this on the screen. John tells us this same story and event, but he adds this. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. Uh-huh, wait a minute. They were willing. Is it possible they could have said, mm -mm. oh, yeah. Is it possible you could be denying Jesus access today to enter this storm with you? I leave that to you and him. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And watch this. And immediately, there's one of the 42. Wait, no, that's John. I'm sorry. Immediately, the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Mark makes it sound like, and Matthew makes it sound like, they sailed across, got out, it's a normal day on the beach, and they, they tie up the boat and, and they go do ministry. John says immediately they were on the other side. So I've thought about this this week. I've asked the Lord for some, some clarity. I can't say he gave me clarity because he gave me options. <laughs> Or what I came out of the session with him was options. So I didn't get full clarity. But what, what has just happened? Immediately the boat reached the shore. It's fascinating. 
One of three things has just happened, and I'm going to lay these out before you. And as Paul says, the Holy Spirit will make it clear to you. One of three things has just happened. One, they were instantly translated to the shore. <laughs> I mean, like, and they're there. Can it happen? Why can't it? There's been miracle after miracle happen on that lake all night anyway. Why not one more to wrap it all up with? Put an exclamation point on the night. So perhaps they were instantly translated. The second option or thought could be this, that the presence of Jesus with them when he got into the boat and the peace on the lake was so calming and overwhelming them with peace and hope and joy that the rest of the journey just seemed like it didn't even happen. It's like, like, like this place of bliss, if you will. They're just so overwhelmed with the presence of this Jesus now who they've gotten into their boat that the rest of the trip, you just wish your, your trips across West Texas could look like that. <laughs> just boom, you're there and everything's cool. There's a third possibility. Perhaps the shore was a lot closer than they thought it was. Perhaps the shore was a little closer than they thought it was. They can't see. It's pitch dark and raining and cloudy and foggy and maybe struggling for six to eight hours. They have come to the point to believe they will never get out of this lake. So it seems further than it really is. Perhaps. I don't know which one of those three it is. I don't dismiss any one of the three. I do draw application from all three of them. When Jesus is ready to get you there, you're going to get there. When he's done, you'll be where you need to be. And the storm will be done. And if you're closer to the shore than you think you are, the worst thing you can do is jump ship right now and give up. You've heard it said your miracles are right around the corner. It can be a whole lot closer to the shore and coming out the other side more like Christ and possessing what he wants you to have and know than you may realize. Whatever, you, whatever Jesus chooses to do, the best thing you and I can do is let him do it. So you're never out of Jesus' sight, you're never out of reach, and you're never out of his care. So why do these storms even have to happen? We're going to wrap it up with, with this. I think we have to address this for a moment. If these storms come to those who are committed to the Lord and faithful, and, and I would say this, I told you a moment ago that storms can come for various reasons, but it always does well when a storm comes to, to get with the Lord and, and, and first ask him to search your heart. Make sure this isn't a storm that's created because of some disobedience. Now, I'm going to tell you, storms will come. I told you already that, that you can be smack dab in the middle of the will of God and walk into a storm. So it doesn't mean they're disobedient, but it can. And until there's repentance and, and a moving forward away from that, you'll be in that storm. So if that is the issue, let's get that dealt with, and Jesus gets us where we need to get sooner. So that's a place to start. But, but here's some, some, some thoughts and reasons as to why these storms can come to us. One, you could create them with your own bad and unwise choices. Disobedience, attitude of sin that's continuing. 
Does that mean you're on your own getting through this storm because you created it and now you've got to work your way out of it? You, you got yourself there? Is this a tough love lesson like your dad did when you fell and skinned up your knee and he makes you get up and walk it off? Are you left on your own in this? Not if you'll choose Jesus and repent. Not if you'll call on him for forgiveness. For if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So you might create it yourself, but Jesus will give you hope if you'll repent of, of what got you there. Secondly, maybe others create the storm. Maybe their words, maybe their actions have created a hardship for you, wearing on you emotionally. Does it mean you're left alone? Because somebody else created a storm for you? No. Not if you'll let Jesus in the boat and release the others with forgiveness. If you'll let him help you forgive, your emotional storm that's causing hurt and offense can be healed. Another reason storms happen is life just happens in this sin-corrupted earth. And a little rain's going to come on every life. Does it mean you have to deal with this sinful life and this sinful world on its own? No, not if you accept Christ and his work of redemption from the cross and the reality of his resurrection from the dead that you could live with him forever. And then there's one more. Perhaps the storm is one that God has designed for you. Maybe it's one he's designed for you to fulfill your desire and his desire to become more like Jesus. And so there are moments and there are times when he will walk us through some things that prepare us. How was the Apostle Paul prepared for such a dynamic, powerful ministry? It took a storm on the Damascus Road, it took a divine encounter took a humiliating encounter to be knocked off of his horse in front of all of his men and his cohorts. It took being struck with blindness, a guy who thought he could see clearly because he was a Pharisee or taught by the Pharisees. But he took a storm so that God could shape him to be the apostle who could write letters to you and I today in the middle of a storm called prison. God prepares one for us in order to fulfill our desire and his desire. The objective is the sooner we surrender to his working in our lives and his character in us, the sooner we reach the other side. The disciples had to go through that storm because it was time to go to the next level. Because the feeding of the 5,000 didn't seem to get them there. Not by Jesus' choice, their choice. So Jesus says, let's up it up a notch. My encouragement to us this morning is that we, we don't have to let Jesus up at a notch. That we humbly would walk with Jesus. Here's your application and my second closing, which means I'm almost done. If you didn't initiate your storm, you can trust that Jesus will appreciate it and he will use it for his glory. For all things work to the good of those who he loves. 
who are called according to his purposes. And if a storm fulfills his purpose, he's in the middle of it with you. No temptation, Paul says, has seized you except what is common to man, and he is faithful. He will not let that storm overwhelm you. He will not let that storm overtake you. If God has initiated, if God didn't, I'll be back. If God didn't initiate your storm, he will use it for your glory. If God did initiate your storm, he plans to draw you closer to him and reveal himself to you. Watch for it. Keep your eyes open. Get your eyes off the bottom of the boat and start looking up. The I am cares, he sees, and he reaches right down into the middle of your storm.